Hello Stacks fans across the universe, just a quick update before we kick off with this month's office hours. As some of you know, Stephen and his lovely wife are expecting child, and as such we are marking this as the start of Stephen's paternity break, uh, paternity leave from watching silly movies and talking to Jack about them. We will return in the future, have no fear, once things are a little more manageable. But just thought we'd update you on what's going on behind the scenes, and for now, please enjoy this episode of Office Hours. It's a good one. I, I'm in it. Some I'm in it for for a bit, you know. Um, it's Jack, by the way. Hello, and welcome back to the Stacks Office Hours, our semi-regular roundup of everything we've been watching, reading, playing, listening to, and doing with our time on this little planet. Watching, waiting, commiserating. We've definitely used that joke before. A hundred percent you've done that joke before. But Stephen's here. Stephen, how are you doing today? Good morning. I'm doing well. We have a lot of films to go through, because Mm. there's been a a flurry of of either staggered releases that have just come out over here. Mm Mm-hmm. Or new things. Yep, a couple. Got some some books to discuss. Got yep. some television to hey. discuss. And we'll, we'll, as per the Matt rule, we'll save the video games at the end. Yes, of course, of the Matt rule. <laughs> okay, so do you want to kick off with some some hot new releases, some 2023 releases that we've seen recently? Yes. Um, can I get my new film of the year out of the way? Ooh, new film, new film of the, of the year. year. So as we know, it was Hypotnik. Um, mm-hmm. Which I finally saw, which... which I finally saw, and you can listen to our commentary track on that movie and watch, listen to me watch that movie in real time for the first yeah, time. Good, and it? it is a blast. Really that is on patreon.com forward slash the stacks on forward slash Hypotnik. Um, um, so, so, so what has taken down, what has dethroned Hypotnik um, Hypnotic? I finally got a chance to see Celine Song's Past Lives, um, which mm. is as good as everyone has told you is good. Um, Interesting. I need to see. Yeah, this. I watched it a couple of times. So the first time I watched it through, and was like, I really, I like this, but I can't tell the extent to which I like this. Um, and then I watched it again the next day, um, and it's one of those things where the first time you're kind of like taking in what is happening, and the second time you're taking in how it is happening, and how it is happening is much more important than what is happening. And there's, there's so much detail. Um, to the film that's that's really 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 wonderful for those that don't know so first time um director but Celine Song has a background in theater and for me it's very very obvious because every element of the film feels like a very well curated choice um which isn't always the case in film I know we like to poo-poo auteur theory but when you have a really good director behind something they realize that you can use your crew um, to make sure that every element of the film is is saying something and doing something, so the the narrative per se is 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 split in all three timelines really, all I think seven years apart. Um, it's not really a, a plot spoiler movie, but so a girl grows up in Seoul um, and has a bit of a a, a childhood romance, um, then that is closed by her family emigrating to Canada um, for reasons of like progress and opportunity. We then jump to her being, I think she's moved herself to New York and she's lonely in New York to be a writer and she rekindles that relationship with that boy from Seoul. Um, this time like through Skype basically. And then we jump another, I think seven years, maybe it's longer. Um, and she is married to somebody else and living in New York, mm. and he visits, he being the boy from Korea, no longer a boy, spoilers, time passed. No. Um, <laughs> he visits New York. No! Um, so it is, right, it is okay. lives within lives, past lives, the idea of, of past lives in a reincarnation sense of the ones we're close to, I'll be close to them because we have witnessed them before, or had a connection before, but it's also just this really stunning portrait of just a relationship and changing people and cultural displacement and how Mm. people in different stages of their lives and how different stages of our lives are different people and I think the central through line for me is there is somebody that is in love with the idea of somebody from their childhood 
and mm-hmm. the person that they're in love with doesn't really exist anymore. But when they're together, the other person is like, oh, I can be that person for a while, even though I'm not that person. Yeah. And, then that, and then that's really interesting. It's just so well captured. And it's so absolutely brilliant. So yeah, Past Lives, if you've not watched it already, watch it. It's phenomenal. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about that movie. It's mm-hmm. definitely on my my priority watch list for 2023 releases. Need to sit down yeah. with it one evening. Um so moving on from past lives let's talk about mm, we both saw bottoms um, yeah, bottoms. i was quite disappointed honestly yeah i agree um, i agree we were both massive fans of shiva baby yeah um, shiva is di- absolutely awesome. di- director emma seligman and rachel Sinott's like first collaboration or first feature collaboration um yeah. just absolutely adored that movie i think it's just an achievement in like screenplay writing or screenwriting in general um, had so much fun with it, and going into Bottoms, I was a little apprehensive just because of the the nature of the the narrative. Really, just being like a this sort of like high school comedy drama, Heather's esque black comedy. Yeah. I was like, mm, how much of this is going to land with me? I think my wife put it best when she said it's like half between Heather's and not another teen movie. And I was like, I've not seen yes, not another teen movie, I think, but I know enough well, about that to go, yes, yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the reviews I've read have been like, oh, Emma Seligman's trying to like reclaim not another teen movie as a masterpiece, and I think that movie's okay. And you know, I I, I liked Bottoms enough. I think it's yeah fun enough, but I just was waiting for more of that really, really like excellent comedy that we had in Shiva Baby, like mm. comedy through tension and yeah. It's very um, just, riffy. It's just not yeah, my kind of thing. It's it's. it's I, th- I was saying to this as soon as I said it, uh, as soon as I said it, as soon as I saw it, that it feels like if it wasn't attached to Emma Seligman and the the notoriety of Shiva Baby, this could kind of just been an, a film that landed on Netflix and people just yeah. watched. Um, and some people really took offense to that, but like, I I, I, don't, I mean, there is a degree of like visual. Um, imagination that i think means that it would not but mm-hmm. in terms of what's actually there i, I do i, I do fundamentally I, agree with you i think it looks great i think the way in which you know everything is captured is it, it, it like elevates it from that netflix tier but in terms yeah. of like teen comedy um millennial humor you know it yeah, just it just not... it just sits in that sort of echelon for me uh, i had a fun enough time with it but yeah i couldn't help feel a little bit disappointed in that and this will come up later with another movie of my um, penchant for escalation and, and, and child murder. Um, but there, <laughs> there, there came a point in, there's a point part through bottoms where there's a car bomb. I'm like, oh, we're going there, are we? And no. you can't go car bomb and then dial back and slight mm-hmm. spoilers for the ending. Very, very slight spoilers. So there's a point at the end where it's, it's been building up to this team are going to come and cause chaos. And yeah. like someone gives this really, really funny speech about how one time someone was drawn and quartered, one time someone was burned at the stake. And I'm like, yes, oh, this is funny. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's really, really over, over-exaggeration. We're going somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it turns out the thing that the, the team are doing is targeting one person via an mm-hmm. allergy. And I'm like, that's such... And the way it's revealed, I think accidentally implies that they've rigged up a bunch of TNT on a stand are going to kill mm-hmm. like a uh, hundred people and I was like oh cool we're going there excellent going proper and Heather's territory <laughs> we were definitively not no we and were not and then someone brings out a broadsword and I wanted it to go like slice enough limbs I, I, I wanted the end and I wrote some in my review to be like Riccio, the story of Ricky, and it's not. <laughs> I mean, I want every movie to end like Riccio, the story of Ricky, but uh, sadly, Bottoms did not go to that yeah. territory. Um, people seem, you know, fans of it. I, I think uh, listeners that are a bit younger than us have got more attached to Bottoms than definitely I, mm. I did, but it's fun. Um, it reminds me of another like t- millennial comedy that came out that we both saw, Theatre Camp, which I had. A very similar time with, I think I liked it a little less than Bottoms in that I just didn't think it worked as a, as a yeah. whole piece. I, I think it's like a fun enough riff on, you know, this sort of theatrical camp and theatre kids and it just didn't feel very propulsive as a story, I want to say. No. I feel the ending of Theatre Camp is actually really, really brilliant. I think the, the last yeah. sequence uh, with it's the a whole like, movie though. together. It's just like, oh, this is really, really good. And I and I do, this is my conspiratorial sense. I think a lot of people come out of the, you can you can get buoyed an ending and be like, oh, wow, that was great. And I'm like, no, the last 15 minutes were really great. Yeah, um, the bits 100%. Were, 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 were fine. Um, it's like sub-tier Christopher Guest mockumentary yes. that just makes me wish I was watching a real mockumentary. It just doesn't I find the mockumentary lean- stuff really distracting. Because mm, I just don't just, think it. I don't think it nails the tone and the idea of the mockumentary style. No. 
in, Have pieces in the to way, camera. Like yeah, 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 exactly. Have a talking heads thing. Just like It just know, looks it's worse. Like, it's like, oh, you just made this look bad. This is just a mm-hmm. bad, rough-looking movie that doesn't fit the conventions. Fly-on-the-wall stuff that just doesn't really feel additive to the whole... I watched the short. I like the short more. I don't mm. think either is great, but the, the short is a bit meaner. The short is... Interesting, okay. Um, is because the theater camp the movie is quite kind and kind to its characters and yeah. thinks that everyone's trying um the short does not the short thinks that these people teaching kids are ultimately manipulative horrible people <laughs> they're trying to like live out there photosize through them and i found it a lot funnier um one of those movies that is like a, a short film premise blown up to yeah. you know feature length and you lose mm. something in that definitely another film we've both seen mm. let's let's talk about it uh, no one will save you Mm-hmm. No one will. The dialogueless alien invasion movie that goes places 15 minutes from the end. <laughs> it's one of the worst endings of a film for a while. So I, I'd read a lot of takes about the movie before I saw the movie, so I, I was prepared for the worst, and I was I was slightly like uh, like undermined by I mean, by how it ends and you know and goes places. But the yeah, build up the movie, to that, I thought the movie was, was slightly cool. undermined also. Ah, mind under minor rocks. The movie rocks. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um. As a a dialogueless alien invasion movie, I thought it was pretty, you know, tactile, pretty, pretty straightforward. Mm. I think it has some interesting ideas. I think it was Caitlin handled. Good. Say that again. Caitlin Dever is good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think so. Very, very good. Um, and as you said in in your in your piece on Letterboxd, every horror movie has to be about grief or trauma in some sense, and it just feels shoehorned in. They're like, the oh god, we forgot. No, there's a new law. There's a new- yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not going to get past the 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 grief code. We're not going to get this streaming if it doesn't have some sort of turmoil in it. Yeah. So to to quote my review from memory, it just like grabs the nearest thing off the ground and just whacks it in and the execution's pretty rocky it's a rocky execution very good um subtle all subtlety is dead in this podcast if you haven't seen the movie go watch the movie and then listen back to this riffing of uh the ending of that movie Uh, but it's interesting enough it's obviously the dialogue less stuff Mm -hmm. is is that example of you've got to build the film better around your gimmicks or they just have feel like gimmicks when it's her running away and panting and going eh, like that stuff works when there's a weird scene where she goes into town and no one speaks she's just like why is that's no, weird yeah why is that no like purposely dog- weird because are they are they aliens have they all been changed or is or is something is there something in her past that leads people to not want to talk to her but it's like I mean, I know, but I people mean, people in her face so yeah but people would actually say things if they weren't just aliens or something so it's mm. strange. This is yeah. The it has that one gimmick of being dialogue free, and then it decides to throw in other gimmicks, and the gimmick starts to get in the way of each other. And I feel rub, they made a better against. film about the dialogue free gimmick. I do mm. like most of it, and then I think the ending is so bad, and also it just doesn't do enough outside of that. But the idea of placing you without dialogue and actually accentuating the the, the truly alien of you don't know what's going on because you're pretty mm-hmm. reactive. That's a different, better film that is actually thematic and interesting. But too many screenwriters and directors for the need, if you're not speaking loudly about a theme, there are no themes in your movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, you don't need sure. to just have a conversation about grief 50 minutes in the end, even if it's a visual conversation. Um, because the film is definitely... Because I spoke to people and they were like, they wanted to, you know, take a stripped-down movie and, and elevate it. The end. Like, there was already something going on. There's actually mm-hmm. something going on that was interesting and different. And then it's just grief. I'm like, oh, it's just a, good a, a heavy-handed execution towards the end, and there is no subtlety in in, in no. how it's sort of handed there. No um, one will save it. No one will watch you movie mm. in the future. Um, what else has come out recently that we've both seen? Obviously, we both were enamoured with Robert Rodriguez's smash hit, <sighs> Hypnotic. But did you know that the man has released another movie this year, very recently? I did, because I watched it last night. Uh, Spy Kids 5... What's it called? Spy Kids, Spy Spy Kids, Kids Armageddon. Arm- Armageddon. Armageddon out of here, because uh, the man Isn't is back. is like the name of the villain from the fourth movie? He's like... Armageddon yeah, something. there's like the but Armageddon machine, and it's like the, the fourth. The fourth. We both watched four and five because obviously we're completionists, and we need to yeah. know the entire tale of the Spy Kids from Spy Kids Rodriguez. One. Legit good. Spy Kids One. Spy Kids good. Two. Spy Kids Two. Good moments. I I I'd say Spy Kids Two is good. I, I have fun with Spy Kids Two. I think as a as a narrative, it's uh, 
it's a bit more wacky than Spy Kids One, mm-hmm. and because of that, you you feel the storytelling is a bit uh, God, stay a bit looser. He's done. Got it. Uh, some good Buscemi, some good miniatures. Mm-hmm. Very just like a fun looking movie. Spy Kids yeah. Three is a movie I've seen ump- umpteen times. Like I have seen that so many times, um, and it was one of those things that like I couldn't tell you if it was good or bad. Um, just because I watched I it so many times, but I can tell you now it's bad. Uh, but hindsight's a wonderful thing. Uh, but I've seen that movie so many times, and I still have fun with it. I think it's this adventurous like exploit into the technological fads of two thousand what five. Putting the that first into three, 3D. Are significantly better than four and five. Four and five for sure. Um, but as we said off mic, five is the natural sequel to three, and mm. four just feels like this weird. Force like is terrible. Void. Mm-hmm. It's just a nothing. It's it's like five is the same thing though. If you it introduces brand new characters and acts like they've been there the whole time, I'm like, I don't know who you are. Who are you people? Um, and then, but then four maybe does the worst stroke of trying to then go back into the the previous chronology. You're like, well, what? Just, no, four four commits the worst crime of having a talking dog and then having it voiced, voiced by, by Ricky Gervais. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, my god, yeah. god. It's like, just so many oh. farts in that movie as well. It's just yeah. it's just very fart I mean, heavy, very Ricky Gervais heavy. The the director of Hypnotic makes movies for his kids and their friends, and I, I think that's neat, but two men in their thirties watching Spike in sequels was not what Robert Rodriguez intended. But you know, Spike is five yeah. though. Spike is five. I had a little bit of it's fun in Spike is five. Like, yeah. it's, it's, I, there was one bit which I thought was actually really quite funny, which is when the first plan of the bad guy is he's unleashed some code, doesn't make any sense, which means that he's just basically inflicted a capture on whole society where mm-hmm. every time you want to access any device ever, you have to play a video game that looks so... You may not know about this. So someone... I need to play this, actually. Go I forget on. Who, the, who the game designer was. Um, it's someone of note, and I think the game's called. The game's called something ridiculous, like here's one of those mobile games you want to play. Now complete them, all of them, or something like that. Okay. Which, what he's done is he's collated. You know when you go on Twitter, yes. or X, yeah, you and you just see, see like, that ads. same ad, and it's just like one of five different games. But the game is never that. So he's actually made a compilation of just those games. And it's like, are you gonna play them? We'll now play them. <laughs> so it's just things like it's numbers called, adding up as you run towards um, and move the key to save them. <laughs> it's just it's called Yeah, you want those games? I think. Um, yeah, you yeah. want those games as a parody of terrible mobile ad. That sounds very funny because yeah, those things have been like just plaguing mobile devices for like a decade now. Mm. You can't play like any sort of free game or any app without getting ads for literally the worst looking games that you could ever see but i don't know there's probably a market for them but that's very yeah, funny but the games but, but the thing is the games are never that game and that's the weird thing you'd be like mm-hmm, okay well, that looks so much you know, like, this but is I just feel a like three thing robert rodriguez's only exposure to video game culture is, is, is through is mobile that? ads <laughs> so yeah. it's like what is this game it's like this fake uh, like Skyrim battle simulator. They complete the Fortnite. same jumping puzzle like three times, where it's just jump to rock to rock to rock, and they're like, oh, "I love this it, kid did this." I'm like, I don't understand how you vi- would do this. All video games are is like just getting to the next level, mm. and you know, leveling High school. up. And it's like games have not moved on from the 80s and everything's still like pong and tetris and <laughs> it's really weird that the game's called high school where there seems to be no like scoreboard or scoring element in the video game I'm like, which is how, it's, how, it's how crazy to me because it has been what 18 years since spy kids 3 and i feel like spy kids yeah. 3 had a better grasp mm. on sort of video game production she than plays a switch does. at some point um mm-hmm. she uses an xbox controller for, for part of the rest of it it's very very, mm-hmm. very confusing i guess you know it's the uh game it's on all all devices High school. Yeah. Um, he gets locked in his own game at the end as a punishment. <laughs> uh, this good. one, uh, I liked. Sh- uh, and um, what is the other one uh, that his kid wrote? Shark Boy and Lava Girl, which very much feels that. that very much feels like a child wrote a movie and then their dad made cool. it. But the thing about this new one is that same child has now grown up and has written this new one. So Racer Rodriguez is like, oh, how old is he now? Like he must be. 24, 25 so him writing Sharkboy and Lava Girl made sense at the time because he yeah. was, you know, sub 10 and now he's so old and still writing the same sort of thing it's no, like, he's still sub 10 but a different way exactly, yeah, Racer Rodriguez at least he's not racist Rodriguez exactly, I mean, maybe maybe he is, I don't know, maybe that's in Spike yeah. Kids 6 
Um, what other big blockbusters have come out recently? Um, I, like no one else on the planet, saw Expendables 4. And oh, as God, yeah. uh, as a product of that, what rewatched one through three. I've only seen three. It was bad. Uh, they're just bad. And then Expendables 4 is just... It's the most money I've spent in the cinema in a while because I went to quite a fancy little recliner um, showcase cinema and sat there and it was just a mess. I think my my piece on the film should be on thetweengeeks.com by now. Go read that. But it is just like the, all the worst things of action cinema over the past like 10, 15 years mm. just shoveled down your throat. It has it has the goal to introduce like two of my favorite martial artist actors and just completely waste them. There are some I, f- I feel like you should keep you should catch up with them, Stephen, because there are some plot moments in four that are so bafflingly ridiculous that it almost becomes hilarious. I do say almost. Um, every movie now is just a Jason Statham starring vehicle, and which you know, I like. Fair play to the man; he's getting he's getting that money. You know, the Meg movies, the Fast movies, the Expendable movies, the Transport movies. Jason Statham is our greatest living. Like he wasn't in Fast X, was he? Uh, yes, he was. <laughs> they go to London wow. briefly. And oh he yeah, makes no, a little brief did. cameo. Um, yeah. oh. But speaking of Fast X, I also saw Saw X. I watched oh. Saw two this morning. I don't like Saul. I don't like Saul post I like Saw. One. I like Saw. Yeah, I like. I've I saw Saw. He... I haven't seen Saw in a while, but the last time I saw Saw, I really enjoyed Saw. And now I feel like a Saw loser because I don't like Saw X. Before <laughs> you talk about Sorks, um, I'm going to yeah, yeah. break down my, my history with the franchise. Oh, so please. The first Saw from I saw was Jigsaw at the cinema because it was out. Oh, God. Okay. That was so like, I what, 20, 2017? Yeah. yeah. I watched the film because I had a, a Cineworld pass, and I was like, yeah, this is a movie. It's an 18-rated horror movie. I should support it because that's mm-hmm. fun. Um, so I saw the, the film Jigsaw, and then Spiral from the Book of Saw came out. So I saw Spiral oh, from the Book of Saw. Oh, God. Yeah, that was like... I'd, was that a COVID movie? That feels like it was like mm-hmm. lockdown very, very bad. era. Mm-hmm. I'd also, between those, watched the short film Saw. Yes. I don't think I've actually seen that, you know. I think I... Because um... it's... <laughs> James Wan, like, proof of concept sort of thing. Yeah, they wanted to get budget for the movie, so that classic thing of, we have a script, let's see, let's film one scene mm-hmm. from it as a short to accrue money. And then I saw Saw. And, mm. I re- and Saw's good. Um, it is a, a, good, a good movie. Um, so, I think this is Spooktober. And I heard yeah. that Saw X is a sequel to Saw 1, but also uh, sets up Saw 2. It's it's, so, it's taken in between Saw One, like it's set in between One and Two, but also has characters from Three or something. I I can't remember. And I was like, I'm I'm not revisiting the Saw movies to watch this tenth movie. These well, movies should Saw be really bad. disposable. Mm-hmm. Did you know that Saw Two was not written as a Saw movie? Oh, was it one of those that was just like slapped with the Saw brush so, to yeah, capitalize it's, 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 on it, the success of the first film? Not even not even quite because no, that implies like. A degree more success because it's ridiculous. So there was a, a script that was not being produced, and then because the opening weekend of Saw was popular, they took this script and reverse engineered it into a Saw movie. So oh, Saw wow. had been out for two days. And they're like, oh wow, they were really trying to jump on that. Let's bandwagon. rush out. Let's rush out. And they gave it more budget. So obviously you get a big star. So you know Donnie Wahlberg is is the big the big is star. Oh right. Okay. When you're the when you're the second most talented Wahlberg brother. Yeah, um, that's four. yeah. You're in trouble. Donnie Don. Donnie Darko. Yes, but please tell me about Saw X. Um, I, I mean, I've never liked the character of Jigsaw. Hot take, I okay. think he's quite a cruel man. <laughs> I think I, some, I, of the I, thing, some of the I, things I, I, watching, he does... Watching Saw 2, I was like, I enjoy this man. I enjoy him. Uh, okay, good. So maybe you'll like Saw X, because it's the Jigsaw show. Like, it's very much trying to make you... Um, feel things for this character. I don't is, want to feel. I want to feel like this is a delightful troll. This is a, a little, little no. He, they're going to try and make you empathise with uh, Mister wow. Mister Saw, Mister Jigsaw Saw. Please allow um, me to introduce myself. It's it's a Saw movie. It's really tough to, to pick it apart from the other ones in that it is a very convoluted sort of setup, very co- convoluted execution. Some of the most grisly sort of dour. Ooh gore and just blood and bile and guts all over the place. Fun twists? Um, Nonsense you know twists? What? Nonsense twists, but not to the degree of some of the like Saw 5 and Saw 6, where it just becomes like, what is going on level of twists? This one is like, you can kind of see coming, it sort of works in its own little frame, and then 
the movie ends on a, a, a note that is the most disappointing part of the movie. I saw a good what, the beginning of, of Saw 2? <laughs> no, not quite, but it ends in a way that just does not feel satisfying in ways that some of the other movies have felt. Um, yeah. It's hard to talk about it without getting deep into very, very important spoilers. Does it, I, I just does left it the flashback back to a childhood where um, Jigsaw picks up a look back, <laughs> picks up a rock, and kills his friend. If only no. It, well, you'll you'll see when you get there because I assume you're going to go through the whole the whole thing this this month. Probably. I'll it get is to it eventually. A slog. I know. I know it's actually been released on digital pretty quickly because I really don't I have the, so. the capabilities. To go to. If no. I'm going to go see a film at the cinema, it's going to be the Good new Kinglash movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not not Saw X. Uh, yeah, I went because it was a, a Friday night and I was at a loose end and walked out and was like, mm, I could have probably spent some some <laughs> time doing out. literally anything else, but. Yeah, and people are heralding it as the best one since Saw 1. I don't know if I can agree or disagree, just because I think everything after Saw 1 is quite bad. Yeah, exactly. It's it's... like a very low bar. Um, And it ends in a way that I'm like, is there going to be a Saw X Part (laughs) 2? Like Fast X Part 2? Final Fantasy X Part 2? Is it James Wan again, or is it someone else? No. (laughs) Who did this one? I don't actually know the director's name. Um, I, look that I, like I like James Wan. He's still he's too busy doing um, Aquaman. I'm, two. I'm excited for. It. I don't care what the internet says. I I, I liked Aquaman. <sighs> this is from Aquaman the 2. the director of Saw Six and Saw 3D, which is Saw Eight. I don't know. I don't know the numbering system, but people and Saw like Guerrero. Saw Guerrero. <laughs> yes, Rogue One. <laughs> finally. Um, yeah, Saw X. Bad. I mean, what did you okay. expect? Are they going to make a Sorex 4X? Ooh, a 4X, like the, the 4D game? experience. Oh, 4X. No, no, no. no. I, I mean, like a Civilization game. As in oh, Sid Ma- I mean, Sid I, I would definitely play, like, a, uh, a real-time strategy Saw game of you trying to set up all the traps in time. Interesting. There was there was a Saw video game um, that came uh, out of the three Yeah, PS3. that feels like yeah, like PS3. You had, you had to era. dip your hand in a toilet full of syringes and you had a pain meter. I was like, I don't think the issue is the pain meter. I think the issue is the think, disease meter. I don't think that makes for very fulfilling <laughs> gameplay, but maybe that's just me. I'd rather watch the movies, and I don't even like the movies. Yeah, I mean, this may surprise you. The Saw game was not very well received. No. Um, I did see another movie on Friday. Uh, I would say yeah. better movie. Um Probably one of the greatest movies. It's called Stop Making Sense. Have you heard of this? Oh, one? I saw that recently. It's good, isn't it? Oh man, so good. How was your How was your crowd? Was your Was your theatre quite busy for Stop Making Sense? Someone had to be shushed. Um, what? Shush? Oh, that was not the vibe. What? <laughs> Me and some nice man were sitting, bopping along, just like nodding, nodding. I was, you know, mm-hmm. tapping and stuff. And this, it was one of those things like it's nice that you. So this this family of like multi generational family came in and clearly it was yeah. like they the thing they had in common was talking heads. Awesome. And the the older contingent just spent and I there was someone sat between me and them so I couldn't like lean over the person and go because I was like if this guy's okay with this I'm gonna have to be okay with this because I can't just lean over this dude and say can you two shut up please um, because there's a dude in the way of us and that'll be really weird. Imagine someone just leans in front of you like oh hello. Um, so they were just having a conversation the whole way through that very oh. much was of the what was of the vibe of being like, do you remember when we were younger and talking heads for a band? It was like that kind of thing. It's like... I- oh, wow. Outraged. Outraged by the stop making sense turmoil that Stevens unplugged his microphone in a in a, in a fit. There you go. I unplugged my microphone. Um, so, yeah. They just were chatting, chatting, chatting. Um, it felt like being at an actual concert, which for a while I was trying mm. to rationalise being like, let's just say it's like being at a concert where there's people next to you just, just doing that. But I was like, no, it's, it's not filmed that way. Damn it, it's not filmed that way. <laughs> no, no, it's very much, it keeps the audience at a distance until the yeah. last like five, ten minutes. So. Yeah, but a little bit into that, the person next to me did, did ask them if they could be quiet and they were like, oh yeah, sorry. And they, and they were, but it was that is crazy. very it's annoying. <laughs> I, was like, we paid a lot I can for imagine. This. We paid a lot of money for IMAX. Like, I know, yeah. It oh, looks great, though. It just it is the best movie, and mm. we've both written about it on Letterboxd extensively. Yeah, and I spoke about it on a different podcast. You listened to that? Yes, you did. I, I watched that video. I'll mm. link that in the yeah. in the description of this podcast. It's a very Fun good conversation. Mm-hmm. You are, you have the three wildest picks. I'm sure <laughs> of that that series. There. <laughs> what did you pick? Cover Society. Movies. Yeah, cover movies. Society faces places and stop making sense. Oh, and and a secret and a secret fourth movie. Mm-hmm. The Stephen trifecta there, but yeah, stop making sense on the big screen. It's good, isn't it? Just it's good. ah, 
ascending moment. Just mm. beautiful, beautiful stuff. Yeah. You seen anything else recently? Oh, we um, could talk about the the Wes Anderson stuff. Yeah, I want to quickly say Death in Venice is bad. Um, I'm not but surprised, it's, but it's better than the other ones. It's bad. Interesting. So it's it's better, but bad. Um, and Nimona, I saw the fur. You oh, need to watch Nimona because you're a, you're a big mm-hmm. animation head. Yes, I, mean, I do. Weirdly, yeah. Nimona's list was I really enjoyed it when I watched it. I haven't thought about it at all since. So it kind of okay. like. But I also it, watched like, Elemental okay. just before it, and Elemental is mm. so terrible. Um, and Nimona is exactly <sighs> what Elemental should be in terms of okay. Because I wrote a long piece about Elemental being like. This, this metaphor just does not work at all. We just we just should not. Of we should trust children enough to actually have some some literal some literalness to our movies. Of mm-hmm. we could have a movie about the immigrant experience that's just about that. Now we don't need to be like, what if I was fire and they were water? That's actually really condescending. Oh, is that what it is? I thought yeah. it was some sort of racism or something. You know, just spoon feeding children basic topics. But it's it's yeah, it is it is sub. Um, Zootropolis, Zootopia. Yeah, yeah, because that, yeah, that wasn't it, exactly subtle either. It's, but... it's, it's really, really bad. Um, mm-hmm. But Nimona is a much more interesting film which uses metaphor really cleverly, um, mm-hmm. but doesn't hide behind metaphors. So definitely there is metaphors there for breaking binaries and expectations. Um, but it's also just a really fun, exciting romp of a movie. Um, mm-hmm. It's good. Um but before we was Anderson, I need to very quickly go run a five-minute errand. Um, okay, let's pause and we'll recoup right in five minutes. That was Nimona. Nimona is good. Um, Nimona is good. I would Wes. like to see it. Wes, where, where in the world is Wes Anderson? Yeah, he has dropped four... Roald Dahl mm. short stories on Netflix. I've only seen the first two so far, but you've seen okay. all four and have covered them yes. for thetwingeeks.com. What's mm-hmm. what's your take? What's your take? I've on not that? written up on the fourth one yet. The fourth one is my favorite. Fourth one's really, really good. Oh, okay, um, cool. Is that poison? Um, poison. 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 Not to be confused with many other films called Poison. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really good. It's it's a bit wrong footing by the first one I think mm-hmm. so the first one is the, is the longest one and the most traditionally Wes Anderson-y it's yeah. very whimsical very eccentric I think it's quite slight um, and I don't know if it's I, I, I didn't love the first one I'd like it um, so the the conceit of these is these are kind of like read a theatre style I'm going to read the script to you mm-hmm. as as if it is the story being read to you which actually works quite nicely and like the acting around that is very gesture yeah it's like a, a performance of the mm. the original short stories isn't it yeah and there's very lavish production in the background but it is there as very clearly background mm-hmm. to still foreground the story I it's, it's it's a really interesting style it doesn't it's an inconsistent style and there's a bit in the first film the first short mm. where it's all really cool because it's described what's happening on screen. And then there's just one scene which just drops that conceit entirely, mm-hmm. um, which is really, really strange. We just throws money away and it's just not described. And it's like, well, are we doing this? We're we not doing this. Um, and that first one is whimsical and, and fun, but was like, oh, so where's Anderson doing that thing? Yeah. And then I think they get much more interesting. Okay. So the second one I really like. Is that um, the, the Swan? The, the Swan, mm. because it's very Michael Haneke. It's very dark. It's it very, is, it's yeah. very twisted. But it it shows how Wes Anderson can use his very distinctive style to evoke coldness mm-hmm. and starkness and bleakness, and yeah. really effectively. It's really, it's 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 sober. It's not like nasty, but it's sobering and, and leaves you feeling a bit hollow. And that's kind of the tone that they they carry on with from then, which is which is great. So the first one's dark. The first one's like witty and eccentric, mm-hmm. and then they are just a bit dark. Okay. Um, Ratcatcher is not as good, but has a really good Ray Fiennes turn. And um, the fourth one, Poison. So th- there's a stable of actors that repeat. So it's the cast of Henry Sugar come back in Poison, and the cast of the Swan are in Ratcatcher. And there's some crossover even even betwixt those. Um, so there's a little stable of repeating people. Poison is one where it really works for me because I felt like the style wasn't really coalescing and wasn't always... It felt more reactive what works in the moment as opposed to what works overall. Poison really all comes together very nicely, is the most thematically interesting, has a very good ending, and is just really stellar. Ten- like, 
if the swan was what if Anderson used his craft to make bleakness, mm-hmm. this is what if Anderson used his craft to make tension. Oh, um, interesting. And it's a really, really tense, really interesting short film that builds to something that's a really smartly done ending. And people will criticise the ending because it's it's a very crude take on an important topic, perhaps. Right. But I think it really works in the context of the short. Really, I, the last two are definitely worth watching. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, as, as a whole, I'm, I'm really pleased with this this collection of, of, of four little shorts. It's just been a nice thing to watch over yeah, the four days. It's been, it's been a, good. a fun little experiment. Um, I think that the nature of Dahl's short stories in his writing, they've always been like slightly sinister um, for children. Mm. So I think it's quite a, a decent match with Anderson's style. And as you say, yeah. like Anderson's style, you can pull out different emotions from the way he like crafts his films. Obviously, there is that twee whimsical nature to most of his yeah. movies, but there is that that edge to it to some of them. Some of that more more sinister, um, a bit more tense and morose in parts, but yeah. always always a pleasure to look at and and see what Wes is up to. Any more Have movies? Any more movies today, Stephen? Um, showing up's really, really good. Um, I really recommend showing up. If showing you, up. If you like Kelly Reichardt. Oh, um, yes, yeah, yeah. It's just stripped back, very interesting. It it feels like something different and bold in the way that it is so minimal and so low-key. Mm. Such, a, such a refreshing watch from so much of what's held up as being, like, auteured, bold cinema. I'm like, now this is what I want. Like, really okay. interesting, perfectly observed stories about people on the edge of success and about creativeness for the sake of creativeness and what that means and just really well observed family dynamics and just a very clever narrative progression that you don't really notice because it is it, done through very clever pairing um it's it's wonderful i absolutely love showing up or showing up definitely was, to see that one was spellbindingly good all right well is that done for movie corner today what mm, do you want to talk what, what tv have you been watching you've you've tempted me i with watched t- gamera Oh yeah, of course. I Gamera did not finish. Origins. I have not finished it yet because I was quite cold on the first. I don't know three episodes. How many? Are it's like it's only six episodes, I think, or yeah, eight, or something like that. So, what's your what's your ultimate take on Gamera I think Rebirth? I, I do think it's good, um, but I not going to defend it very much. Cause I think it, <laughs> it eats into good. I think it's a nice pairing with the Godzilla singular, anime, which obviously this exists because point. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so Singular Point is interesting because I think like Singular Point is a decent sci-fi anime mm-hmm. and a bad Godzilla series. Yes, 100%. And I feel this is the opposite of it's not very good on the anime side, but it's decent Gamera content. <laughs> yeah, so the, yeah. the kaiju stuff is really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, and even in those first, it, first two episodes, you're just sort of slogging through this rather pedestrian tale of... Uh, Japanese racism and occupation, and then once it you drops get that pretty quick. Oh, okay, interesting. It, and once you it, get to it, the Gamera it, it, show, once you get to the kaiju battles, my eyes sort of snap open, and I'm finally watching. But yeah. the last couple of episodes bend back to that classic Gamera staple of there are sinister adults trying to do things at the expense of children. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it does become a Gamera story, and I think it works last few episodes. And I think the the kaiju fights all the way through are really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Though the visuals of the whole show are bad, just like that low frame frame rate rate, animation that's just gross looking, ugly, ugly, ugly stuff. I just do not. The kaiju designs are really cool though, because it's all it's all re envisionings of the um, the classic monsters, the Showa, yeah, the Showa series, and they're really there's 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 one that's bad, but the rest are are really really cool Mm -hmm. um, and interestingly different with what they do with them, and there's good fights out of them, and Gamera is cool and he, he fights well. There's, there's a bisection at one point that's really fun Ooh. it's just good st- get, you know it, it gets gory it gets save the kids mm-hmm. it's ultimately pretty good no, I, do it. I will finish it eventually it's just the, the runtime of each episode and knowing how much of it is dedicated to non-gamera related materials yeah. just sort of put me off for a while but you know more kaiju it, content it earns itself you. eventually it folds back in and ends up being decent okay cool is that the is that the tv for for this month yeah, I watched a little bit of a psycho, but like uh, it's, it's fine. I watched the first episode and was like, I just maybe I don't need to watch all the Star Wars content yeah, anymore. I just can't keep it's up. Fine. Um, yeah. I don't dislike it at all. I'm sure it's it's for, you know, the fans of Rebels and Clone Wars, of which I've seen very little, yeah. but uh, yeah. yeah. Star it's Wars fine. Star Wars never going away. It's always going to be here. Yeah. Have you read anything? I have two books. Yes. Comic books, one would say. I've been back on my comic book grind once again, dipping my toes into 
all sorts of different things, different manga series, some sort of uh, some American run comics, and I've got a few cool things to talk about today. Cool. So first off, I want to talk about this writer and artist, Daniel Warren Johnson, um, who has written and drawn two fantastic short form series that I've read in the past week. Um, I'm always I always gravitate towards like long form series that are like you know there's hundreds and thousands of issues, mm. but sometimes I just want to sit down with a a nice complete intact series that will take like an afternoon to read or like you know an hour to read um, and his first one is a dc property and i'm not a big dc head um i don't You're a marvel zombie we know this <laughs> i don't like the wonder woman movies um i don't like um gal Gadot's portrayal of yeah so i wanted to dive into the world of wonder woman and just sort of work out what this character means and what this character can be i love that line of logic i don't like this so therefore, I'm going to jump into this. Well, I'm jumping into this, but I'm I'm taking it from a weird angle. So the book I read is not just like a straight-laced DCEU Wonder Woman story. This is called Wonder Woman Dead Earth. And this is a four-issue comic book miniseries under DC's Black Label. And the Black Label consists of more, dare I say, adult and edgy storytelling. So I was a bit you know, taken aback by that at first, thinking like this is just going to be pandering nonsense but i got into it because the the hook of it is wonder woman wakes up in a bunker suffering from amnesia and she's disoriented she ventures out into the devastated landscape of the world and encounters a group of survivors who tell her that the world has been ravaged by war environmental disasters and leading to the the collapse of civilization humanity is 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 on the brink of destruction, extinction, and the the idea of the miniseries is is Diana trying to work out how this has, has come about, and also encountering like grotesque mutant versions of animals and people, and battling through to work out what has happened to this world. The main draw for me was the way that the artist presents the the characters and the world building in this in this piece. Uh, his dynamic and detailed illustrations bring like a gritty, desolate world to life, and the action sequences are really well done. But it doesn't. A, a lot of it comes down to the way that the the, the color is used. Like um, with a story of this nature, you'd expect it to be like really dark and morose mm. and broody and annoyingly sort of sinister. But this is like uses like earthy tones but in like a really vibrant and like almost pop color setting i'll have to send you some panels or post them on twitter because mm. it looks awesome and it doesn't fray into morose and macabre visual design it, it is very much it's it's comic booky and it's bright and light but dealing with like this dark and sinister world which is like a, a juxtaposition i really enjoy um my final yeah. selling point of this mini series is being like Batman and Superman, you know, they appear in in different uh, different forms. One would say, uh, maybe Superman was murdered by Wonder Woman, and maybe Wonder Woman uses his spine to reinforce the lasso of truth. It's very it, Justice League meets Mad Max meets society body horror. It's all very very cool. cool. It's like four issues. Um, I'll send Stephen some panels in a bit just because I think it oh, yeah. it's just awesome to look at. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued. And my second comic series is by the same artist um, and writer, this Daniel Warren Johnson, who is just, I don't know, there's something about his art style and his storytelling that I've just found myself completely enamored with. And this second uh, miniseries is called Do a Power Bomb. And as you can probably tell, this is to do with Star the world... Fox. <laughs> the world of uh, wrestling and pro wrestling. This is a supernatural pro wrestling comic, um, which is obviously an immediate selling point to me. Um, the character Lona Steel Rose, which is a great name, wants to be a pro wrestler. I mean, it's, it, it's nice that since the, the end of that series, that Supernatural is still. still <laughs> supernatural <now>. wrestling. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the boys. The, the boys. The boys are back in town. They're like a tag team duo now. Uh, so, yeah. Lona Steel Rose wants to be a pro wrestler, but she's living under the shadow of her mother, who was this, like, well celebrated professional wrestler. But. Her mother died in an accident in the ring when the other wrestler she was working with um, slipped and accidentally dropped her, like snapping her neck and killing her. This is in like the first 
few pages of the first issue. Um, years later, the daughter Lona is working, you know, working on the wrestling circuit, trying to get into wrestling, trying to work past the fact that her mother died during, you know, uh, a match, and she's approached by this like weird, mysterious figure who whisks her away to another dimension, another planet, another world, another reality. And the, the mysterious figure reveals himself to be a necromancer who is also a huge wrestling fan. And he puts the proposition to um, our character here that if she can compete and win in this intergalactic tag team tournament match, uh, or tag team tournament, that she can bring her mother back to life through his like necromancy powers... Um, so she agrees and teams up with the man respon- like the wrestler responsible for like dropping her mother and killing her basically in the ring as this sort of therapy and the tournament itself is just what I want from these sort of comics just really fun and creative designs for like the tag team matches and the like it, it leans into like the gimmicky nature of like tag team wrestlers and personas. So the first people that they battle are like two massive orangutans that are, but they're all competing in this tournament so they can use the necromancer's powers. So they all have different angles they're approaching this from. The action is presented in a really dynamic way. The artist is able to capture the energy and like sense of awe from like live wrestling events. And it's the same, I think it's the same colorist who worked on that Wonder Woman series. And just really, like, a decent set of vibrant and palatable colours to make this a really dense and lived-in universe. And it's called Do a Power Bomb. So, you know, it's that's just a great title for a comic. Um, definitely recommend people check that one out. It's just, yeah, a short read and a very fulfilling read. So that's my comic corner. I, I read the novel Psycho, which is bad, but I'll talk about that. On a, on a yes, coming, uh, upcoming, uh, the, the Psycho sequels, Psycho. Can I say. But I've also got a decent way through this that I'm yes, shaking the camera that you, you, you see, teased this is, last episode, I feel. Yeah, it came from the closet, Queer Reflections on Horror, edited by Joe, the less forward by Kirsty Logan. Mm. It's a collection of essays on specific films, okay. some a couple of films, mostly one film, from queer perspectives. Um, it's good. It's, it's, it depends what you want, really. I think I like crunchy film crit, and I was hoping It'd get into um, the weeds. based on nothing mm. that it was going to be kind of queer analysis of key horror yeah, texts. That's kind of what um, I'd assume from and, Yeah, the selling point of that book. And that's what I wanted from it. And at points it is that. But and this is a different thing and it's 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 if anything more valuable, but it's not as for me in terms of what I wanted out of it. This is more kind of anecdote and personal reflection that intertwines with a film so there's it will take a film as the as the chapter and it'll talk about their struggles with this issue mm. or a facet of their identity okay so it's a very a very reflected. personal sort of position yeah. rather than like cultural analysis i suppose yeah and there is bits of analysis in there but it's 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 more that's more what i wanted than than this which is feels a bit weird i think it's it's that thing of the stories in it are, are really powerful, really interesting, and I would watch or read a straight-up thing that was about these important stories, and I am not always sure the bits of film crit help it, um, especially when I'm, I'm occasionally having to watch the film to read the essays. So I watched the film Grace, which was really quite terrible, um, to read an essay about it, and the essay is a very wonderful personal essay about um, surrogacy, okay. about having to have a surrogate because being a, a queer couple and about loss of pregnancy during surrogacy and what that means. And that story is really well written, really, really, really emotive. And then every now and then it goes back to this kind of like not very good horror movie that like somewhat relates to it. And it's just so I've discovered a couple of good movies Based on that, I watched Good 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 Manners, the werewolf film, which is really good fun. Manners, um, but it's a varied collection. Some of the insights on the films, I'm like, eh. mm-hmm. some of it's really really good. The personal stories, I think, are really really powerful. Sure. Um, if you're in the if you're in the mood for crunchy analysis, queer analysis of film, you're not going to get that at least from what I've read okay. of it so far. 
taking me a bit longer than I thought because occasionally I had to pause to watch it. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem yeah. with these sort of books is it introduces you yeah. to, uh, you know, a sub-series of movies that you've never heard of or would never really get to, but then you yeah. feel like you can't get into the nitty-gritty of the analysis and the essay without having seen it first. That's the problem with most film books where I'm like, oh, I'll read a couple chapters mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, I've got like 20 pages into the first chapter and I need to watch like four films to continue. Yeah, but there you go. Yeah. That's, that's, that's that book, which is which is Which good. is good. Okay, um, cool. Shall we do some video games? Yeah, so I've played some stuff. Um, so I finished Starfield. I'm trying to organise a time to sit down with Calvin because we've both finished okay, Starfield that'd be cool. and just have a big just really hash Starfield out, yeah. conversation. Um, so yeah, in the end, it took me 73, I played 73 hours of it. Um, I did all of the faction quests and the main quest. Mm-hmm. It's good. I liked it quite good. a bit. It isn't great, and that's the thing. It's just it's just not great, and I think no element of it is great. I wish I was a Cody, mm. in which they've got a lot. The way they play this game, they've gotten so much out of it. I just don't play it that way. I, I I've played it as a as a quest to quest mm-hmm. thing, and I get lost. And the quests are good, but they're not amazing. The faction storylines are interesting. I like the cities, but it is a very fast travel, unconnected. It's just another one of those of Diminishing Returns. It's better than Fallout 4. It's better than... I've not played 76, but people, I, from what people I hear about like that, that. It interests me. Um, I perhaps... I don't know. Fallout 3 I don't love, but I do think Fallout 3 is better. Mm-hmm. Um, this is... It's not Skyrim in space. And it's not Fallout in space. It's very much, to me, feels like Oblivion in space. Okay. In terms of the world's a little bit generic. Yeah. But it's also still kind of cool. There are cool parts of it. There are cool bits of craft to it it's a little bit generic um especially visually um though it's kind of like oblivion and this is like there's some technical proficiency here to how this looks but it also doesn't look amazing um it's a bit rough around the edges like oblivion is of this is trying some things i don't know if if anything here really works but it's trying Mm. some things um it's it's you'd kind of want a starfield Two, oh, which is really the good, worst but criticism. Never like, gonna I, make oh, that. No, yeah, and also yeah. they've made the whole galaxy, so you kind of can't. You can't you make can't another galaxy, a, I suppose. I don't you know. Can't because it's got all the planets yeah. in it. It's just, the planets got but just yeah, you, you said that during our like um, our quick save update, uh, our little thirty-minute episode yeah. on how how you were getting on with your games, and I just. I, the selling point to these games is always like, oh, it's a massive, expansive, discoverable universe, and it just doesn't mean anything yeah, if there's no. nothing there, and it's just like hollow and empty. The cities are cool, and I mm-hmm. liked the little quests that that come out of them, and I had a lot of fun doing that. And then the faction, it, this has always been the best thing, of the faction storylines are always mm-hmm. really good, and the main quest, whatever. I think the main quest is not very right. good when it got to it, um, because what it turns out, the main quest is just like near Automata, but bad. Um, for those who play Nier Automata, you'd be like, oh, okay. It does some things that's been done there better. And it just all feels like an excuse to set up a new game plus because it, oh, it justifies a new right, game plus. Okay. But You've got to get 72 hours through before you can get to the new game plus. It justifies <laughs> it cleverly, but then it also makes it feel a bit pointless. Mm. So your new game plus carries through all your skill-based progression. I still think the progression system is completely broken. I really don't like it. Um, so, But you just lose all of your items and stuff. And I just had so many so many resources and items and guns and I'm like no I just don't have that anymore and I just don't feel I feel like I'm wasting my time playing mm. it now because <laughs> I'm like I can't craft things anymore I had so much stuff to craft and I was like I want to dabble with the elements of the game I've not played before oh I can't because I've I just lost, don't have any things more. and I have no money and no guns and I've specced towards a build and now I'm like I'll play differently but can't, I've yeah. specced towards a build that now I don't have the guns for anymore and I'm like eh mm. it's a it's good and I enjoyed it I'm very glad for it to be out of my life. Yeah. Glad to be done with it. Um, I played a bit more of Sea of Stars, which is already getting a bit, little bit, little bit repetitive. I d- I I've got to be in the mood for like a turn-based. It. I've got to be in the mood for a turn-based thing. And yeah, I'll, I'll, I probably will get to it at some point. It does seem like something that I could just like get really grindy with and just sort of like enjoy the world. But at the moment, I'm just sort of... Yeah. I don't like the writing very much. And okay. it's... it's- cool but the combat is already starting to be a bit just like it's another one of these and Mm -hmm. some of the elements that make these games irritating also make them compellingly playable like random encounters and stuff and it is better to not have those but also it just it feels much more nakedly of you walk for a bit and then you fight and then you walk for a bit and then you fight and there's usually stuff around the edge of these 
turn-based RPGs that I'm just not getting as much from here. The world's beautiful. It looks lovely. Mm. And you can yeah. jump around. Like, there's a bit of traversal, but it's very limited traversal. If you just press a button, it does the thing. and It, it mm. does feel a bit filling in the gap. It is good. I will play more of it. Um, I did play a chunk of Lies of P. Oh, I, I, I read a bit about this. Is this is based on Pinocchio? Yeah, it's about time they made the um the, the Dark Souls the dark, style Pinocchio. The dark, gritty... Oh. It's, it's, it's okay. a Souls game, but it's Pinocchio. So. Is, Tom ha- is Tom Hanks in it as Geppetto? Is uh, Geppetto like a boss? <laughs> I've met Geppetto. Um, oh, is he like some like Lovecraftian monster? <laughs> he's, he's a man that has maybe wreaked this torment on this world and now deeply regrets it. Um, oh wow, I love that. So what is the the it's So Bloodborne. you play as Mr. Pinocchio? You play as Pinocchio, you little twink Pinocchio. Um it's Bloodborne. <laughs> have you played Bloodborne? I have not, but I've seen videos. It's, it's Bloodborne. Um so You Bloodborne, like Bloodborne. I love I love Bloodborne. Bloodborne exactly. I'm a huge, huge souls fan. But, but what if he told some lies and his nose got big? Does yeah. his nose get big in this? I think so. I wear a donkey mask, so I can't see. Um, I feel like that is the entire crux of having you Pinocchio's do lie character. And, and the loading okay. screen says now lying rather than now loading, and the loading bar is his nose. I mean, if that's the only sort of continuation of the Pinocchio character, maybe I won't play this. And when but... you die, it says lie or die. I mean, these are very low-effort Pinocchio-isms, I, 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 I want to say. I had to pick some dialogue <laughs> options that were lies um, to get into places. That happened twice in a few okay. hours of playing. Um it's Bloodborne, um, but not as good because Bloodborne's very refined and very excellent. Okay. To, to get a bit boring into my Souls-like thing, of I can't Please. get annoyed of Souls-likes because the things that Souls games are built around work because the games built around them, or they have other things that, mm-hmm. that alleviate those things. And the problem with Souls-likes is they just adopt the conventions for the sake of it. And there are so many things in this game like you don't have to do this because it's in a Souls game. You just you can just not do this. Um, so the the upgrade mechanic is the same as the Souls games, and it's just not a very good upgrade mechanic, and it's just annoying by itself. Um, the fact that you can't pause the game is just it's like just let me pause. This game is not online. I get that you can't pause a Souls game, but I would just like to be able to pause without the level design of Bloodborne. Then the the just act of doing Soul stuff is not as compelling. I don't think the level design in Lies of P is very very good because you want Bloodborne to have that really like it folds back in itself really cleverly and opening up doors and you're finding shortcuts to places it's got like a whole bunch of pointless shortcuts at the moment i got to a place of like i've got three ways of getting this place really quickly two of them seem completely pointless mm. even why it's there um, there's also been this funneling down in the space of the souls genre into parry just parrying i've never been a big right, fan okay. i've never been a parry player so in dark souls and demon souls you could parry but it's very much about walking around for me shield out hide-in, mm. turtling, rolling. And then Sekiro <laughs> is mm. the, you have to parry all the time. And I really like Sekiro. It's hard as nails, but I really, really like it. Bloodborne is, you have no shield, but you, you dodge. And it's very aggressive. Okay. And when you take damage, if you attack back quickly, you build that health back up. This has that light mechanic, but not done as well. But is very, wants you to parry. The parry doesn't feel great. And it's, Sekiro works because you have one weapon. So it is. It always feels the same. So there is a, mm-hmm. a, a the timing of the game is the timing, but this has multiple weapons that can go in different ways. So it just doesn't feel built around the core mechanic of parrying. And when it's not just like pure parrying game, I just don't like the parry stuff, and I just don't find Lies of P that satisfying to play and engage with. I did play more of it than I thought I would because mm-hmm. it is compulsive in the way it just like keeps going, and I do like the core of the Souls game. And some of the visual design is interesting here. Um, I don't. I just. I feel a bit. It's just one of those, and it doesn't have to be as like one of those as it is. Of so many things are just there because, like, oh, that's a thing from these. So you mm-hmm. kill a boss and you get an item that you can either eat now and get experience for it, or save later to trade for a, for a weapon. I'm like, oh yeah, that's because that's in the Souls games. That's that's there because that, and it doesn't need to be. And how faithful would you say it is to the uh, 1883 Italian novel, The Adventures of Pinocchio? Like, does this need to be Pinocchio? Could this not be skinned with anything else? I think it's cool that it's Pinocchio. I think that's that's the mm-hmm. thing that's interesting about it, is the, the fighting... But also, so this goes back to my parry thing. Of, so you're fighting puppets, and the cool thing about Sekiro is that it's very intentionally, again, very intentionally designed. And yeah. puppets are not known for predictable movement, so they're very mm-hmm. over-animated. So... 
the, the first bunch of enemies you're fighting, usually, so when you're playing a parry game, it's you quickly press as they hit, and then bam, you've parried. Now imagine if the animation is like, I'm swinging back, but I'm lumbering, and I'm all puppety. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, yeah. it, this needs to be tight if it's going to be mm-hmm. bam, bam, parry. And it's 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 just, it's, it's not a tight game that requires a tight experience. And yeah, yeah. I, it, I will play more of it. Um, mm-hmm. I've breezed through the bosses a bit, which I wasn't okay. which I was surprised by. But I also find fighting any enemy above like a basic enemy just kind of annoying because they just they attack weirdly and mm. they just like I'm like how do I parry this attack? Eh, eh, eh. I'll play more of it, but it's it's fine. Okay, all right. Speaking of recent releases, I've been playing Borderlands from 2009 <laughs> because I'm stuck so in the past. Bought the uh, some sort of bundle on the Switch. Collection. From- Something like that. I got Borderlands One. I oh, know Hansen Collection was two. only two and pre sequel, so you got all. You got. A, a I got. Real. I got a Game of the Year edition one and two, and then I've got the pre sequel, which yeah. isn't three. And Borderlands Three is a different game. Yes. Um, I sunk a lot of time into Borderlands One. Just Amazing absolutely game. enjoyed my time. Just I went sniper route and just had so much fun. Just uh, I can't remember the name of the character, but like he had this little bat. Yeah bat ability and just going He's through cool. and just throwing that out into the wilderness. I love the, the sort of Mad Max post-apocalyptic setting. Yeah, um, the look of it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Like the, the janky sort of 2009 humour is whatever. Like, yeah, it has a, it has a level of personality they to the characters. They double down on that in the games. The, the humour gets a lot worse. <laughs> I, that's what I was that was that's what I was afraid of because that was probably my least favourite part of Borderlands but in terms of the, the combat and the way that the sort yeah. of like first person shooter loadouts work I think it's great and I think it's really nice for uh, players who aren't very good at video games like myself to you know enter a battle and maybe I'm a little underleveled and I, I take a good half of the boss's health off or whatever and I die and I get a, that sort of second chance thing. So if I headshot one of these little cool. minions. And then when I you die, back, it gives you the, the, the Ubisoft loading screen. I'm like, this isn't a Ubisoft game. How <laughs> That's right. You go through the, the void portal and go back to your nearest sort of save location. But the enemies have the same amount of health they did yeah. when you died, which I really appreciate because and if you're playing in co op, then if someone stays alive, then you can just keep doing it that way. Which is great. Oh, that's really good. I would like to play this on co-op, actually. So if anyone is stuck in 2009 and was wanting to play Switch Borderlands with their old friend Jack, you know, DM me. But it's been nice just trucking along solo, to be honest, and trying to work out the I best played route most of to play game, so solo. I've, I've played mm-hmm. through it all in co-op and all in solo. So um, when I first played it was when it just came out, and we were staying at a friend's house, and he just rented two copies of this new video game. And we had okay. it set up on two TVs and played yeah, four-player. Yeah, yeah. And we just played it literally all night. I've just been like, this game's amazing. <laughs> and just got enamored with it from that point onwards. Uh, it's just so much fun. And like the, the upgrade system, uh, the leveling system, all the experience points feel so satisfying once you get yeah. kills and all the numbers it's my uh, diablo 3 thing of just being able to see all the numbers and all yeah. the stat points just float up onto the screen a delight i sunk i think just over 20 hours into it before i hit the the final boss which we we spoke on dm just being like the the way the game ends is quite unsatisfying it doesn't feel like a massive step up from what the game has been for the entire runtime it's just a case of standing and shooting, uh, which I thought was, you know, which I thought was fine, but it just didn't feel like a very hefty final boss. Oh, the ending of that game is, game is famously terrible. <laughs> and mm-hmm, you just, you mm-hmm. just stand over a ridge and it can't stand, get to you. Shoot. You shoot. Die yeah. up here again. But I just love the versatility of the weapon loadouts. Um, I just love the looting system as well. It's great. Like there, there is always something new to get. It's, it's yeah. It's it's first person shooter Diablo. It's 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 awesome. It's great. It's absolutely great. I'm maybe like an hour or two into the second game, um, Borderlands Two, and like I can feel noticeable changes, but nothing too drastic yet. That's kind of my my thing. I felt like Borderlands One was like a really cool platform of like you've done a thing and you could do something really interesting of this, and Borderlands mm-hmm. Two is just like. Oh, you made, you made more of this. Um, and it's, yeah, it's which is, I, I'm, I'm kind of but, okay with at the moment just because I really enjoyed Borderlands 1. But also part of me is getting into Borderlands 2 thinking I should just start Borderlands 1 again with a different class and just yeah. try and work out how I can I think Borderlands 1 is a, is a significantly better game. Um, I okay, got a lot more out of it. Borderlands 2, I think, has, a, has an issue with just not knowing when to end as well. Yes, just, like, you mentioned that, which I'm going to have to look out for. It keeps going through. 
mm. environments, and I just don't, I didn't find the balance as appealing, and the progression as appealing. There's a, there's a stripped back simplicity to one, and yeah. I wanted some, when I want something different, I don't want more complicated iteration of the first one. And I feel mm-hmm. like Borderlands Two is what if we added more more things onto the base game as opposed to taking it somewhere else. Um, I don't know, but they were mm. they kept promising Border Worlds, the kind of like pseudo live oh. game MMO thing, which is what it sh- which is where it should have gone. I think it should have gone actual Diablos in like instanced Guild Wars styley, but no, that's because never gonna happen. Now I have enough uh, knowledge and context that I can finally start looking forward to Eli Roth's Borderlands movie that is never going to come gonna out. A whole bunch of clap trap, if you ask me. Oh, clap trap. What a, what a little stink Ain't pot. No what a little again. bucket of bolts. But yeah, yeah. Borderlands. I got him for like six quid on Switch. Yeah, Great hey, game. So if anyone's, if anyone's listening in awesome. 2009, this game's great. I played for that game like five times. I love, I love mm-hmm. Borderlands. Yeah, I can see the replayability of it as well. Just like, mm-hmm. ah, crunching. Crunchy, crunchy goodness. Um, anything else, Stephen? Is there anything else for, for no, the Office House today? I, I think that's, that, that's it for me. Um, okay, yeah. that's it for me. Um, as always, you can support the boys on patreon.com forward slash the stacks on film. On this feed here, we are entering October, the spooky month. We will probably drop a, a new list of seasonal recommendations yeah. on Patreon. We will also be covering all the Psycho films. That's right, Psycho, Psycho 2, Psycho 3, Psycho 4, and Psycho. And by um, Motel. And Bates Motel. Motel, the movie, and uh, a half-remembered recap of the series that I have no intention of reading, uh, revisiting. Mm-hmm. Stephen's also reading the first Psycho book and probably won't get to the sequels because, from what I've heard from Stephen, the book isn't very good. I'm, re- I'm reading. I'm reading Psycho Two now. Oh wow, Psycho Two, and then I might do a little piece on a Psycho Kickboxer or Psycho Goreman or any other Psycho-related films that I can think of. Um, so, as always, thank you very much for listening. And sign off goes here. Don't, Don't let the, the Shivers Beast, beast get, get you. you. Good. Uh, do a power bomb. Go read. Do a, do power, a power bomb. bomb. Good night. God bless. Do not let the River Beast get you. Do not. Do not. Do not. Do not.